Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, if you are uh, got your Bibles or devices this morning, turn to the book of John chapter 19 and 20. If you don't, that's fine. They're going to put the passages on the, script, on the uh, screen this morning. I'm doing the last message in a series that I called Encounters to the Resurrection. We started with about 10 people that Jesus came in contact with from the Thursday night Passover meal till Sunday of the resurrection, okay? So we've talked about Peter, that Thursday of Peter. We've talked about Pilate. Uh, That was two weeks ago. We talked about Barabbas. Last week, we talked about Simon of Cyrene, the man who was just standing on the side of the road watching the crucifixion procession of Jesus. And all of a sudden, they pull him out of the crowd. We talk about that moment. We talked about last week about the thieves on the cross and the Roman soldiers, their impact on uh, Jesus' crucifixion on their life. So uh, if you've missed any of those, you can go on our Facebook page. We have a YouTube channel. We've got an iTunes podcast, and you can kind of get caught up on that. But I've got three people this morning that I want to talk about. It's Easter, so we want to talk about three more people that had unusual encounters with Jesus. So the first person that I'm going to talk about this morning is Joseph of Arimathea. Okay. Now let me give you a little background on him before we read the passage this morning. What do we know about Joseph of Arimathea? Number one, he was a person of wealth, power, and privilege. He was part of the Sanhedrin Council. Now, let me remind you, Rome, there was an armed, you know, uh, Rome was in Israel. They were armed. It was an occupation. And they allowed the Jewish people uh, just a little autonomy politically and civilly and, and, uh, and religiously. So there were 70 leaders called the Sanhedrin, okay? Joseph was one of those 70 Sanhedrin, okay? Now, to be on the Sanhedrin, it probably meant a couple of things. Number one, he had a little money in his family. Number two, that he had a long religious kind of family history. His family kind of, you know, had been, you know, uh, in in this religious system for a while. So he was uh, a person of wealth, power, and privilege. At some point... Joseph had become curious about Jesus, okay? He had not become a follower. He had not become a disciple. But he finally just kind of opened his ear just a little bit to the message of Jesus. Now, this was unusual for a man who was in that position to kind of be open to that message because it was such the opposite message from the religious tradition that he was raised in. So this was a big deal. It was kind of like a Florida Gator fan who backslides and becomes a Seminole fan, all right? I was going to use another team, but it's Easter, so I'm not doing that. So it was a huge, huge kind of change for him just to listen and be open to the message of Jesus. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're curious about the message of Jesus. You're not kind of ready to commit yet. Maybe you're just a a listener, 
you know, maybe that's why some of you are here today. You've just kind of been having these God thoughts, and it's Easter, and you think you'll come to church. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe for some others, maybe your mother encouraged you to come on Easter. Anybody? That was, that was my mom. So, uh, But listen, if that's you, if that's you, and you're just kind of a listener or you're curious, can I just say, hey, I'm proud of you, but I want to just encourage you. Explore these thoughts. Pray and ask God, hey, if this is real, I want you to show me. Ask questions about this. If you're curious or a listener, that's great, but just don't stop there. So Joseph started as a listener and curious, and then he became a secret follower of Jesus. So he moved from listener to a secret follower. So probably, man, over the period of time, he's having these restless nights as he's, he's thinking about his life, his religious beliefs. He's having, you know, these, these, these internal conversations with himself. You know, he's having these random thoughts about God, and he's thinking, man, where, where's all this Where's all this coming from? I'm telling you, sometimes God provokes those, that thinking in our hearts so that we will maybe consider the message of Jesus. So uh, he, he comes to the determination eventually that this dead religion was not the answer to him and that he believed that Jesus had another, you know, a, 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 another uh, message and another life and lifestyle for him. He throws off the generational family religion because it was not sufficient for him. Now let me say something this morning. If you're here today and man, you've got maybe Christian faith in your, you know, in your family, that's fine. Be thankful for that. But I want you to know that your family's Christian faith is not sufficient for you. There's a point that every individual has to make a decision themselves about Jesus. When you stand before God at the the end, there's no family. You kind of stand there as a family and you kind of get a family grade. No, every individual is stands alone. And Joseph made the decision that, listen, my, my long term, he was, a, he was in Judaism. It's not, it's not sufficient for me. So he goes from a secret follower of Jesus to a disciple. Okay, now listen to the story. So sometimes there are unusual events that will occur in your life that will give you the opportunity to publicly follow him, okay? Especially if you're kind of secret. You're not sure about what people will think. So here's what happened to Joseph. He's a member of that 70-member, you know, council of Sanhedrin, okay? On Thursday night, late on Thursday night, after the Lord's Supper, the, the Passover meal, they come and get Joseph from his house and say, you have a meeting. What? It's late. It's midnight. No, you have a meeting. So all of those 70, they come, and Joseph's probably scratching his head. What are they doing when all of a sudden Jesus appears right in the middle of them? Jesus is standing there, and I'm sure at that moment, man, his stomach just started to churn, and they began to accuse Jesus, you know, of blasphemy and insurrection and they even started those 70 ruling people with the conversation about crucifying Jesus. Wow, can you imagine? He's been this secret kind of follower. And then all of a sudden, man, Jesus is there. And listen, 
they start taking a vote about whether Jesus should be crucified or not. Now, man, he's on the spot. Luke 23 says, this is the first opportunity I talked about that Joseph had this, you know, that these opportunities kind of push you to make a decision. So uh, Luke 23 says that Joseph did not consent to the crucifixion of Jesus. So it was like 68 to 2 to crucify him. I'm sure his people are looking around going, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing voting no? That's the first thing, of the first opportunity that, that Joseph had to really kind of go publicly for Jesus. Then there's another opportunity that he has. Jesus dies. You know the story. Terrible. We talked about it last week. Terrible crucifixion. Jesus dies about 3 p.m. And the Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. Due to the Sabbath regulations, you could not work or touch a dead body on the Sabbath. Okay? Joseph is disturbed that Jesus' body is hanging on the cross. All of his disciples are gone. What's going to happen to his body? And Jesus requests a meeting with Pilate. Look at this encounter in John chapter 19. It says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Look at this. He's a disciple, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. So Joseph, the secret disciple, now he's standing in front of Pilate. And he's going, hey, I would like to, to take care of the body of Jesus. I'm sure this was a shock to Pilate because he was one of the 70 that just voted to crucify him. But Pilate relents and lets, jo lets Joseph have the body because the Romans when there was a crucifixion sometimes they just took bodies and they threw them in the city dump and just let them decay or they left them on the cross for animals to do whatever animals do but Jewish people they they dealt with their dead very you know very very quickly you know listen listen he was worried he risked Joseph risked the disfavor of Pilate and the Sanhedrin his very fear about letting people know that he was a follower of Jesus was what held him back. But now he comes to a point where he does not care. He's voted no in the presence of the Sanhedrin. He is standing now in front of Pilate requesting the body of Jesus. Let me tell you, he did not worry about jeopardizing his social standing. And I just want to say something to you this morning. There is a point in time that your relationship with Jesus will become the most important thing. And you don't care who knows. You don't care how many times you're canceled or you're unfollowed because of your faith in Jesus. I'm just telling you, there is a moment in every person's life that they go from secret to disciple and they don't care who knows they're following Jesus. They don't care. They don't care. He showed concern in selflessness by caring for the body of Jesus and giving his own tomb. John 19, look at this. Nicodemus and his friend Nicodemus, they brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes 
about 75 pounds. Taking the body of Jesus, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen, according to the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever laid. So this man, who was so afraid about what people would think a few days early, now with his friend, there's no disciples around. Now with his friend, they only have a little time. He had to make a quick decision. They grab a ladder, and they go put it on a cross. They take a hammer, and they pull the nails out of Jesus' hand, and his, his arms go limp. They take the nails out of his feet. They put his bloody body on his shoulder as they slowly walked him down the cross. His bloody corpse bleeding all over them. This is such a change for a man. Just a few days before, didn't even let anybody know that he was a follower of Jesus. He and Nicodemus, they come and they lay, they lay the body of Jesus out. And it had to be in a very emotional moment as well. As they did the burial customs where they begin to wash, they begin to wash the body down. And, and I'm, I'm sure what, I mean, what a moment that was when they could pick up that hand and they could see the, the nail scars themselves and they wash they wash Jesus' body out, and they begin to, they begin to put uh, a mint and, and aloes. They begin to rub him with this perfume to, you know, counteract the decomposition. And then, carefully, they wrap this body in these in, in these burial cloths. Where are they going to put him? Joseph says, you know, hey, I've got my own tomb. He can have it, and they take him there. Now, listen. Joseph and Nicodemus probably had no idea of Jesus' claims of resurrection. That was probably just going, you know, that message was probably just to, you know, just to the disciples, but they lay him in this tomb. Here's these guys. Here are these guys that were secret disciples. But now, man, I just want to say, there comes a point where you don't care. There comes a point when you realize the message of Christ's love and forgiveness and hope that you don't care how other people, that, that other people know. You just want to live for Jesus and, and let other people know about your faith. So I want to say to you this morning, are you following Jesus in secret? Maybe you've, maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've, you know, really, you know, you want to see God do some great things in your life, but it's kind of been you know, on the down low a little bit, you're a little concerned. What would my job think? What would my family, you know, what would my family think? You have the fear of what others may think, or you're trusting in your long-term family traditions this morning. I want to tell you this morning, there is a grace and a faith that Joseph found that the Lord has for you if you will give him that opportunity. And I want to tell you, being a secret disciple, it's okay. It's okay. I was there too, but I'm telling you, being a public, you know, open disciple of Jesus, that's the best way to live your life. Amen? Next encounter was Jesus' encounter with Mary Magdalene. Okay? Luke 8, look at this. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Twelve were with him, some of them women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So, what do we know, you know, about Mary? 
She has a messed up life. I mean, does that sound familiar to everyone? I mean, her opening description in the Gospel of Luke just tells how messed up her life was, how, how, how much in evil she had become. Luke chapter 7, when they tell the story about the sinful woman, some people think they're referring to Mary, you know, as that as well. So here is this lady, hopeless, forgiven, destitute, lonely, desperate, out of options, no hope. Her life is just completely messed up and overrun with bad decisions along the way of her life. <clears throat> now let me say, you may be a visitor here this morning, a regular attender, and you look around at this crowd and you go, I could never fit in here because of my past, okay? Oh, you are so wrong, okay? We've got people in this church, they've made all kinds of bad decisions. We've had people that have come out of drug addiction, alcohol addiction. We've got people here with broken marriages, people that have bankrupt, people that have done foolish things with their life, people that have been in jail and been out of jail. We've got some that have been in jail, but their parole officer let them out this morning so they could come to church and sit on your row. All right? If you think this is the palace of purity, you've come to the wrong place this morning. There's all kinds of brokenness that has occurred with people that attend this church. But I want to tell you, there is one thing that we have in common this morning, even though our backgrounds are very different. We have found a hope and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that's what binds us here at this church. All right? So if you feel like, man, I wouldn't fit in here, oh, you just don't know. All the support groups we need to have, but nobody would sign up because they're ashamed of what they've done, all right? So just know, you, you're welcome here. That was Mary's life. That was Mary's life. So she, she comes to the Lord. She was there at crucifixion. It's resurrection morning. Now listen, there was no great fanfare. There weren't people standing around the tomb, you know, waiting for him to come out. The disciples were still in Jerusalem. They were still in Jerusalem. And it's Mary and it's just a few ladies, you know, that, that come out to attend, you know, that come out to attend the body of Jesus. So Mary goes to the tomb, John 20, and says, Mary stood outside the tomb and she was crying. And she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. She's crying. This is an emotional moment. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they said, woman, why are you crying? Can I tell you something? Sometimes there's a criticism of, of people that go to church that they're emotional or, you know, they're, uh, you know, kind of bent toward emotion, but I, and even, even with Mary, she starts out crying, all right, but, but can I say something to you this morning, sometimes, you know, when you think about all that Jesus has done in our lives, you cannot help but just get a little emotional, okay, you just can't 
helping. So, if that's you, if you look at people and go, man, you know, they need a crutch, they're always crying, or what's the, the worship and the singing, I just want to say something to you this morning. Don't judge my praise, okay? Don't judge my praise. You don't know where we came from. You don't know what our story is. You don't know what our background is. You don't know the brokenness that we've had in our life. And I want to tell you too, you don't know our Savior. You don't know the restorative work that he's done in our heart you don't know the, the the beauty that he's given from ashes so don't judge my praise you know sometimes as a believer you can't help it when you're riding down the road and you begin to think about the goodness of God and there's just a song that comes out of your heart and sometimes when there's a song comes out of your heart when you're behind the wheel you get a ticket okay let me just say that God will forgive that. The police department's not, but God will. You go ahead and praise Him anyway. Sometimes you're around the house and you just begin to think about the goodness of God and you can't help but just to lift your hands and sing. Sometimes you're in church and you're just reminded of God's grace and what He's done in your life and you can't help it, but there's a song that comes out of your heart and a tear that drips off your cheek. Sometimes you're doing the craziest things. Sometimes you're cutting the grass and you begin to magnify God. Sometimes you're cleaning the house and you begin to magnify God. Or sometimes you're like right here. There you go. It just hits you. Wherever you're at, you just begin to praise God. But I just want to tell you something this morning. Man, don't judge my praise because you don't know what God's done in my life. And you don't know where he's brought me from this morning. John 20, she says, they've taken away my Lord. And she said, I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name. It was the sound of her name being called by the Savior that all of a sudden the, you know, the questions, the, the, the viewpoint that she had, it all, so, it all in one moment, it just became clear to her. And she turned to Jesus and she said, teacher, look at this picture. She is the least likely one. It's her life that was filled with hopelessness and despair. She's the least likeliest one. But Jesus chose to appear to her first. Isn't that a great story? Isaiah has a promise for you and I this morning. He says, fear not. I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. If your life is messed up, if your life is broken, if you've been cast aside this morning, can I just remind you today that he knows your name. He doesn't turn his back on you in times of adversity. But that's when the Lord comes and he will speak your name in a moment of cloudiness and bring clarity to you your life. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? 
Let's look at Thomas' encounter with Jesus, or Jesus' encounter with, with Thomas. Who is Thomas? He's one of the disciples best known for a failure, okay? We, we know his failure. We're going to talk about it in a moment, all right? But that's not the whole story of Thomas. You know, Thomas, you know, Thomas, there was a time when Jesus wanted to go to Judea, which was very dangerous for Thomas. And the disciples didn't want him to go. No, this is dangerous. Thomas is the one that said, let's go. If he dies, we die as well. I mean, that's a very bold statement from Thomas. There was a time that Jesus in John 14 was talking about heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven. Thomas said, hey, I want to go. How will we know the way? And Jesus said back to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the light. That passage that we know. He spoke to Thomas, okay? So we see that Thomas was a passionate, thoughtful believer, even though we don't know a lot about him, but who was willing to die for Jesus if needed, okay? So if, if the resurrection's on Sunday, it's Monday night after the resurrection, okay? All the disciples are in the upper room. They're together, but Thomas is not there. Let's look what John 20 says. So, well, excuse me. So the disciples are all there. Thomas is not. He comes back, and they're telling him about this meeting that Jesus just appeared to them. So look at John 20. Now, Thomas, um, who was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my fingers where the nails were. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Wow. I mean, that's a strong statement. Thomas, wow. This, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual statement from this person of faith. But let me say, there were a couple of things that Thomas just went through that maybe caused this season of doubt in Thomas' life. So let me walk you through those really quick. Number one, he witnessed the spiritual failure of two people that he was close to. You got these 12 disciples, and they've lived together for three years, but you go to the Passover, and first of all, Judas betrays Jesus. They had no idea it was Judas. They were shocked when Judas walked out and, and, and betrayed the Lord. And man, Thomas going, man, I thought I, I thought I knew this guy. And then just a couple hours later, Peter, the leader of this group, he denies Jesus three times. So he witnessed the spiritual failure of people that he was close to. So can you relate to that in some way? Have you ever had a pastor or a Christian leader or a friend, someone you trusted that had great spiritual confidence in, and they failed God? And on some level, it has affected your passion for God, or it has affected your faith. You have been very discouraged because of the failure of, of, of leaders in your life. But can I just remind you of like this you know, unfortunate reality that there are times that Christians and even leaders fail. They don't live up to the values that they taught you. They don't live up to the words that they, that they, spoke, that they have spoken and preached to you. I just want to say that happens, and I'm sorry that that happens.
But I want to remind you of something else. If that's you and you felt like your faith or your passion for God has been affected because of maybe some failure or some inconsistency in people that you have confidence in, those that fail are small in number compared to those that faithfully serve. Okay, Those that fail are small in number compared to those that faithfully serve. If you are understandably disheartened by the failure of one, then be encouraged by the faithful service of the many. Okay, If one's going to discourage you, then look at the other 99 around and draw encouragement and draw and draw faith for that. Jesus loves you. Others may have disappointed you, but he loves you and you serve and you serve him. Okay? So, you know, like, um, don't, don't just get rid of church and faith because of one bad experience, right? When you go to Chick-fil-A, you go to the drive-thru, you don't get what you're supposed to get. You go back the next day, don't you? Okay? So, just, just, just know there are other people that are that are serving. And, um, so that would maybe one thing that kind of got his attention, the failure of other leaders. And then something else that might have affected Thomas, why he wasn't there at that moment. All he had hoped for and trusted in in that moment was gone. For three years, that's all he had ever known was following Jesus and serving Jesus, hearing the messages, seeing the miracles. You know, he saw it firsthand Now Jesus is dead. People have, you know, forsaken the Lord. Listen to me. And the foundation of everything that he had ever hoped for and believed in over the past three years is now gone. What a crushing blow to this young believer. Have you ever walked through a season like that? You ever gone through anything like that? Like you're neatly, you know, wrapped Sunday school theology kind of comes and and clashes with the hard realities of life. Things that you believed and all of a sudden it's it's shaking your confidence because you didn't see what you thought you would see. You got a divorce when you thought there would be a restoration. The employer said, thanks, but we don't have a job for you on Monday. The doctor gives you a bad, serious diagnosis. You're standing at the casket of someone that you loved that passed away way before you thought, you know, that they should pass away. Your family's breaking apart. This pandemic over the past year has pulled and torn everything that you believed? Have you ever walked through a season like Thomas did where everything that you've kind of believed and had hope in was now shattered? So you, you may be like Thomas, a little shell-shocked with what's going on in your life. You find yourself confused or even hurt, maybe even at God. Maybe you're even asking questions about God, okay? But he was let down, He made that statement, I won't believe until. But this wasn't the end of the journey. Look at John 20. A week later, so it's the following Monday. The following Monday, a week later, the disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He's got a great entrance, doesn't he? Wow, unbelievable. He he just pops in the room and he says, peace, peace. Be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. So look at the, look at Jesus' reaction to Thomas. Thomas missed the first meeting. He comes back again. Jesus appears to everyone, but who does he go to speak to personally? He goes to Thomas. He walks over. He walks over to Thomas. Now, if you're Thomas and Jesus is headed your way, you're probably going, oh boy, this is going to turn out bad. All right? But listen, look at his reaction. He's not angry with Thomas. He's not angry with Thomas. He is not disappointed or hurt. He does not give him a lecture on trust and faith. He's not like our parents, you know, that have to do the lecture. You should have known better. I told you. I told you you should have done different. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give him a lecture. He walks over to Thomas personally. And he says, Thomas, put your fingers in my hand. Because Thomas said, I will not believe until I put my fingers in his hand. And Thomas takes his fingers and put it in Jesus' hand. And then he says, Thomas, take your hand and put it on my side. Because Thomas said, I won't believe until I put my fingers in his hand or, I, or I, touch, I touch his side. All right? He doesn't banish him from being a disciple. He asks, he answers the questions that Thomas had about life, theology, faith, in God. Can I say this to you this morning? If you're a doubter, maybe you have questions about God and about faith. Maybe your doubts are rooted in the fact that there was something unusual that occurred in your life and you don't, you know, you feel a little disappointed, you feel a little hurt. Maybe you're a prodigal that's kind of, you know, been around church and for whatever reason you find yourself that's kind of drifted away from faith. Maybe you're here because of problems and questions. Then I want you to see Thomas as your road sign back to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? If there's one person that you can identify with that can point you back to faith in Christ, it's Jesus. Now listen, Thomas, his momentary doubt <clears throat> was not a life-defining experience, but rather a season that he walked through. So he had these doubts. We use the term doubting Thomas, but do you know what? After that experience, when the Lord answered those questions with Thomas, Thomas and the disciples in, in the book of Acts, they begin to scatter. Thomas goes to India. And he becomes a missionary to India. And there is a church today called the, 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 uh, the, the Cathedral of Thomas because Thomas gave his life for the, for the Lord and for the gospel. So I'm saying to you, his momentary doubt was not a life-defining experience, but it was just something temporary that he went through. And God used him in a great way after that. So if you're here today, I want to say something to you this morning. God never promises, God never promises that our life will be, our life will be free of difficult times. Amen, everyone. All right. I wish there was a different message. That's never mentioned in scripture. 
That if you come to faith in Christ, man, it's all money, wealth, national championships, promotions. It's never, it's, it's never, it's never mentioned in Scripture. But there is the promise that when you go through hard times, here's the promise that He gives us. He will never leave us and that He'll never forsake us. Okay? I want you to know that you don't walk alone. All right? The hand of God is upon you. The presence of God is with you, even though you're going through a season of doubt and question. Worship team, you guys can come this morning. So I would ask you the question today, kind of, who did you identify with this morning? Is it Joseph of Arimathea? Is that who you identify with? Maybe you're kind of a listener. You don't come maybe from a religious background or different religious background, and you're kind of curious with the message of Jesus. I just want to encourage you, continue in your curiosity. Man, I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to talk with you. I won't push you. I promise I won't do that. You know, everybody kind of goes to this season where they're, you know, kind of making sure about the promises of Jesus and how it fit in their life. Or maybe with Joseph, maybe you're the secret follower, you know, not sure of what other people will think, you know. But I want to tell you, there are opportunities, maybe even this morning, that you go from secret to public. He went from a secret follower to a disciple who came to a point in his life that the message of Jesus was so important that he did not care what other people thought. He voted no against the crucifixion of Jesus. He carried the bloody body of Jesus down. He came to a point where he just didn't care anymore. Okay, And that's a great place to be when you cast your identity with Jesus. All right, Maybe you're like Mary this morning. Your life's messed up, broken, made mistakes, life of poor choices. Feel like there's it's just hopeless. What am I going to do? I'm just going to live in my despair. I'm going to live with the consequences of my poor choices. I'm going to tell you, there's a promise in Isaiah. I use it here a lot. I love it. It says he gives beauty for ashes. Ashes are something that used to be there, but they're all burned out, flamed out. Okay. And many times we try to take those ashes and put a little duct tape and, you know, and have the appearance that we've got it all together, but really it's just ashes. It's just ashes. Trying to rebuild something that's already been destroyed. It says he gives beauty for ashes. So he'll push those ashes aside and he'll do something wonderful in his life if you give him a chance. And that's with Mary. That was with Mary. But her past was her past. She can't change that. But she cha- he changed her future. He changed her future. You know? So if your life is a mess, you've messed up, made poor choices, and you find yourself away from God, I'm telling you, this morning, he'll speak your name. He knows where you're at today. He loves you, and he's got another plan for your life if you'll just give him that opportunity. Okay. And then Thomas, maybe identify with him. Just walking through a walking through a really difficult time and you're not sure what is up and down everything you kind of know is just gone maybe through circumstances you've turned your back on God you've walked away from the Lord or just decided hey I'll just pull back in the way that I serve him hey I want to I want you all to know this morning that he loves you today he loves you today and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what 
place you find in your life. You know, I've just told you, we're not the palace of purity around here. We've got people who've gone through brokenness in their life. That, man, we have found hope and that we have found joy through Jesus. That if there's a message that I or we can convey to you this morning, man, you can still find that same hope and that joy through Jesus this morning. And it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to do that. If you do three things, then God will do three things. If you'll do three things this morning, God will do three things. If you'll admit that you need God in your life, if you just admit that you need God, hey, I've run to my own end. I've made my own choices. I don't have any other options. I'm just going to give it over to the Lord. Admit that you need God. Believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Through his cross and his resurrection from the dead. Just believe. Confess your sins to him. He says if you confess, he promises he will forgive you. And it doesn't matter what you've done with your life. There's not anything that is not covered under that promise. If you'll do those three things, then God will do three things for you. He'll give you a new life. It says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. He'll forgive your sins. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you've done. You stand whole, pure, and clean before God. It doesn't matter what you've done. And he'll give you eternal life. No more wrestling at night, you know, about eternity and those, those kind of issues. Man, it is settled in your heart when you lay your head down on the pillow. You know if something happened throughout that night, man, you'll find yourselves in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to ask you, our worship team's going to sing in just a moment. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your head? I just want to pray for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning if you'd like to pray your prayer and become a follower of Jesus. Just bow your head. Lord, I thank you. I thank you this morning, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we see your tender, caring hand lived out through these three people this morning. And I thank you for everyone that is here today. Lord, I don't know what their spiritual backgrounds are. It doesn't matter where they go to church, what they believe, where they're a member. Lord, it doesn't matter. I pray this morning that you are dealing and that you are calling people this morning to be followers of Jesus. I pray over them today. I pray over them today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just do something really simple and really quick. And if you're here today, just not sure about your place with God, your standing with God, and you just would like for me to pray over you or you pray a prayer this morning with everybody's head bowed very quickly. Just Would you just raise your hand up and down and just say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Just want to make a new commitment of faith. Just not sure where I'm at with the Lord this morning, and I just want prayer. Would you just raise your hand up and down really quick and just say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Pray for me this morning. Would you do that? On the screen, there is a prayer. And if that's you, it's a simple prayer. I just want you just to kind of pray this to yourself. Hey, and, and when you mean it with your heart, I'm just telling you, it can start this wonderful faith journey that you have. It's on the screen. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. 
I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Man, if you've kind of prayed that prayer, that's the beginning, the very simple beginning of a new life as a follower of Jesus. We're just going to take a moment, our worship team, we're just going to worship for a moment. We're going to close. I'm going to give you some instruction. Well, let me just say, too, when we when they get done, or while they're worshiping, if you'd like to come down and pray, talk to someone, these altars are open. Man, if you, I'll be available at the end of the service. I'd love to pray and talk with you about your new journey in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.